स्टूडियो देन योर माइंड इज फुली फोकस्ड ऑन वन थिंग एंड इट बिकम्स अनइंटरप्टेड that is called dhyana that's like the first step you can say of meditation and when continuous focus on that one object where the object is no longer there it is just the continuous awareness of the observer itself that is called samadhi so by focusing the mind it settles it's like you bring it to a state where it is not scattered it's not all over the place but then meditation is one step further where you move from an state of effort because you're putting an effort you're focusing there is an effort required to a state of effortlessness where you also drop the effort and you can actually rest so in a state of in a mindfulness practice you are still engaging the mind you're not yet transcending the mind and meditation is transcending the mind this is episode number 124 of the inspiring talk with swami purna chaitanya welcome back inside yet another episode of the inspiring talk my name is vijay gautam i am your host for this show each week i interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential swami purna chaitanya is one of those spiritual guides who come from the west and also has a deep understanding of the eastern spiritual world he has been conducting programs with the art of living an organization started by spiritual leader sri sri ravi shankar for the past 20 years in this conversation we talk about spirituality mindfulness how do you connect with the source why chanting mantra is a powerful way to uplift your spirit and a lot there's something about this conversation that makes you feel calm and bring you back to the present moment it is difficult to put in the words you have to listen to this episode to experience it enjoy this yet another beautiful episode of inspiring talk swami ji welcome to the show thank you so much bj it's lovely being here You know one of the things that listeners of this podcast really enjoy is the uh, spiritual conversations that we have on the podcast and it is an honor and such a great pleasure to have you on the show so i want to jump straight into this and uh, start with the word itself which is spirituality we you know often hear a lot of people talk about spirituality and it means different thing for different people so what does it mean to you when you say uh, you know spiritual or uh, spirituality well bj i think for me one of the most relevant definitions is one that uh, i actually heard my master give once gurudashri shri ravi shankar when someone asked him he said you know it is anything that uplifts our spirit so that could include anything like it could be it could be music it could be dancing it could be service could be discussing knowledge or wisdom and of course that way any so called spiritual practices that could be meditation or chanting of mantras or or singing or or yoga these are all things that that kindle a part of us that is ever joyful that is in the present moment so i would say that brings you back to your nature that as a small child everybody has known you know if you look at all over the world irrespective of the culture or the tradition or the language that people may speak a small child is naturally very joyful you know it it doesn't need much to to be happy it can play with a pebble in the mud 
and have a wonderful time. It feels such a strong sense of belongingness with anybody. You know, you put two children together, they may not speak each other's language, but within very short time, they are best friends. You know, they, they can share things and they can appreciate. They don't worry so much about the future, nor are they bothered about the past. And I think, uh, yeah, especially in our current times where life has been speeding up a lot, we have a lot to deal with to digest. Any of these practices that uplift our spirit, that bring us closer or back to that nature, which is so joyful, so peaceful, are quite essential because in the end, I think that's everybody, well, that's what everybody wants, right? We would like to be peaceful and we would like to be happy in life. And, uh, you know, you mentioned about your Swamiji, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, and I had the opportunity to interview a billionaire from Nepal, Pinot uh, Chaudhary, and I asked him this question, what is the role of spirituality in your life where it's all about chasing wealth and creating wealth and growing it? And you, he again quoted Sri Sri Ravi Shankar where he said, you know, uh, he said this beautiful thing. And since, you know, when he said that, it has stuck with me as well, where he said, if you want to really wear a, a really nice dress, you need cutting on the one side and uh, stitching on the other side. And material world, or that is the part which does the cutting of cutting. And the spiritual world is the one which does the stitching bit. So, and I, I can't think of anything as beautiful as that to explain the role of what spirituality and and how you balance that with the material world, right? So, very nice. I've actually met Vinod. I, I know his son also, uh, Nepal. Uh, wonderful people. Yeah, awesome. So, what you're saying is something that lifts your spirit, right? But often, uh, spirituality is associated with meditation or yogic practices and so on and so forth. So, what you are saying is, even if you are, if you enjoy a really good music that uplifts you, or maybe you read a poetry, or maybe watch a the piece of art that takes you on a different level altogether. So you are saying that can also be called a spirituality. And I think that is why if we see, uh, if we look at India, for example, it has such a rich tradition of, of saints and sages over the centuries. And we see that there, uh, that spirituality has uh, expressed itself in so many ways. And for some of them, it expressed itself in poetry, it expressed itself in music or, or in other arts. And uh, we see that even today, simply by connecting to those expressions of that spirituality, it brings people back to that space. You know, whether it is the poetry or the music or any other form of art, it is the songs they sing or the knowledge they shared, or in some cases, as you said, the spiritual practices, the yoga practices, the meditation. So I think, yes, we need not limit it only to maybe the physical exercises or only the intellectual exercises. So what role does meditation play in, in this spirituality, in advancement of one's you know, spiritual journey? Because that often is seen as one of the ways to go deeper into the spiritual practice. See, as you said, it's all about finding a balance. When we are engaged in the world, uh, we are having so many interactions. But most of the time, if not all the time, our mind is turned outwards. So however nice it may be, whether you're watching a movie, whether you're having some wonderful food, whether you're looking at a beautiful scenery, any of these experiences sooner or later will tire us. That is a fact. Like it's tiring, however nice it is. If you keep listening to the most beautiful music, at some point you will say, okay, now switch it off. You know, it's, it's enough. I need a break. The same is with music, uh, with, with movies. The same is with a beautiful scenery. At some point you'll say, okay, now I need to close my eyes. 
how much food can you eat? And in the same way, whatever we do during the day, at some point we feel tired. And of course, then you say, okay, you go to sleep, you rest, and then the next day maybe you are recharged, you can go at it again. But especially nowadays, we see that even if you sleep for seven, eight hours, many times you wake up, you don't feel really fresh. Like I said, mm. when you remember as a child, you wake up in the morning and you jump out of bed and you're ready to play again. But many of us now, you first need a cup of coffee or tea. And there are still so many things going on through your head because the amount of impressions that we have to digest, the amount of things that we go through, be it stress or, or even other types of experiences, it's a lot of, I would say, strain on your mind. And meditation is that skill or that art of turning the mind inward, allowing it to come back to the source. And this can give you a type of rest which is much deeper than even sleep. They say that 20 minutes of, of proper meditation gives your mind the same amount of rest as four to six hours of sleep does. So even though our body, of course, requires you to sleep, it needs a certain amount of that relaxed state for certain physiological processes to happen. But there is a much deeper rest we can give to the mind through meditation. And this allows us in turn to be much more effective, much more happy, and much more equipped, I would say, to live in the world, uh, be effective, and also to enjoy it. So that balance of rest and activity, where, you know, even as an athlete, if you say, I want to increase my stamina or I want to build my body, you cannot exercise for 24 hours straight. No, it doesn't work. The body will need some time in rest to recuperate. And with the right amount of rest, you actually can excel much, much faster. In the same way, when we are able to give that kind of deep rest to the mind, you will find that your perception, your observation, your expression, your communication, your uh, sensitivity to the people around you, all of these improve drastically, your memory, your focus. So this allows you to do whatever you're doing much better. And it also allows you to really enjoy and appreciate whatever you're doing. Because I think the pandemic, if nothing else, has really reminded everyone or taught people across the world that you may have everything around. You may have the most beautiful house. You may have all the comforts. But if your mind is not peaceful, if you are disturbed or you're feeling anxious or frustrated or, or angry or sad, then you cannot really enjoy it. So if you really look at it a little more closely, the quality of your life, to a very great extent, depends on the quality of your state of mind. And meditation is, I would say, that soothing balm for the mind. It has many other benefits, but from a very practical perspective, it is that, uh, yeah, that, that cleansing or the daily shower for your mind. Like Just like you brush your teeth every day, or at least I hope people do, <laughs> it's recommended, <laughs> or you take a shower every day. This is like yeah. taking that mental shower that really refreshes you and allows you to have much more clarity and be much more centered. Swamiji, you have mentioned uh, connect to the source or going back to your source. And this is something that often we hear people saying that going back to myself or connecting to the source or connecting to yourself. What does that source as a word mean? What do we mean when we say, you know, connect to the source? Well, of course. It's a little tricky to talk about things which are much more experiential because there's always a risk of it just becoming a concept. And that is where people also sometimes get confused or you may have a misunderstanding. But basically, if we look at our life, you can say there are different aspects or dimensions to our existence. One is your physical body. 
that's obvious. You can see it, you can touch it. But mm-hmm. somewhere we all know that we are not just the body. Because that's why sometimes you say, oh, my body is feeling tired or my body is hurting. You don't say, I'm hurting. Someone passes away, then it's very interesting. After that, you ask, where, where is the body? Say there is a funeral. You don't ask, where is he or where is she? You say, where is it? Mm-hmm. You know. So somewhere we know, knowingly, unknowingly, that there is something more. And in the same way, if you see, we have a mind, we're aware of that. Uh, that is something which perceives through our senses. And that's why sometimes we, you know, we have this uh, use of language where we say, oh, you know, I was absent-minded or mind was not there. This is the challenge for many students, let's be honest. They're sitting in the class physically, but if your mind is somewhere else, you don't really take in whatever the teacher is, is saying. And the same goes with people in, in offices. You know, many times our mind is not really with us, with what we are doing. And you can observe your mind. You can say, okay, I'm looking at my thoughts. You know, I have this kind of thoughts. I'm having a lot of thoughts or less thoughts or pleasant thoughts, unpleasant thoughts. So that means, again, you are something that is beyond the mind because you're able to observe your mind. And if we look at our body, it keeps changing, whether for better or worse, (laughs) but it keeps changing. In the same way, if you see your thoughts keep changing, but then for us to be able to experience that change or to notice it, that means there is a reference point. There is something which has remained the same throughout. There is something Mm. which is unchanging because to notice change, you need to have a reference point. Otherwise, you won't even notice it. So there is a part of what, for us which has remained the same throughout, and there is a part of us which you say like that is me, even though as a small child and now as an adult, so many things have changed, our outlook on life, everything. But still you say, I'm still me. You know, that is something that you can relate to. And that's why sometimes if you meet someone after a long time, say many years, an, an old classmate or a, a good friend or a family member, you say, oh, looking at them, that they have changed so much. And you feel I'm still the same, but they have changed a lot because maybe physically or or in their outlook. So there is a part of us which is the same throughout. And that is, I would say, our consciousness or our self or our source. And that is also the part of you that remains when even the mind is maybe not active or not there. When we talk about meditation, uh, those of us, like you said yourself, you have plenty of experience with meditation. So Various meditation practices may differ in approach, but uh, when we talk about real meditation, it brings you to a point sometimes where you're aware, but you're not really aware of something. So I would say that is that you're not even aware maybe what I'm doing or where I am, or but that is that pure awareness. And that is something that is beyond the mind, where that, that mind is not functioning, you're maybe not getting any thoughts. So that is that source that which remains the same throughout. And that is why when you go to sleep and you wake up, you know and you feel that you are the same person. Mm. Because in between, in deep sleep, there are no thoughts. It's like your system has switched off. So when you reboot it, then there is something that has remained the same. Otherwise, you wouldn't know. And Mm. that is why you know that, oh, I slept. You don't have the actual experience of sleep, but you have the experience of the absence of awareness. So that substratum, we can say, is the is the source. Beautifully explained. So often mindfulness and meditation are used interchangeably. I'm having this conversation with you right now and I'm fully present in this conversation, right? And often people say that, you know, if I'm fully present at something, then that's my meditation. So 
what is the difference, if there is any, between mindfulness and meditation? So if we, as you very well said, if we look at today's conversations, uh, today's uh, narrative when it comes to meditation, mindfulness, uh, you know, it's like yoga, it has become tremendously popular, tremendously popular. And with it, uh, with the mass appeal, we also find that uh, many people are benefiting from it. There is a lot of marketing that, that has happened also because there is uh, a good industry. But then we also see that many people get, you say, into the business where they may not always be so well versed in the actual traditions or like we see with yoga. No? We have all kinds, including beer yoga, goat yoga. It has actually nothing to do with yoga if you really look at the yogic scriptures. But it's, it's a very interesting approach. So when we look at mindfulness and meditation, traditionally also there was actually a clear distinction. For example, if we look at the, the yoga sutras of the Rishi Patanjali, which is one of the main treatises or authorities, I would say, on the yogic uh, tradition, he talks about different aspects of yoga or different limbs. He calls it the angas or the limbs. And in one way, you can take it also as a progressive approach where he talks about something called dharana. And dharana means to fix the mind on one thing. It could be an object outside of you. It could be a mental object, a concept. But fixing the mind on one thing, and then again and again when it wanders, you bring it back to that. So that is a very good example of what we now usually know as mindfulness. Because many of the, the commonly practiced mindfulness practices nowadays, they have their roots in the Buddhist traditions, for example. And again, they have their roots in the yogic traditions. So these, this was a, a common practice where they say you consciously bring your mind to one thing. And that could be your breath. It could be what you're doing right now. It could be the food you're tasting. And of mm -hmm. course, this is a, a, a great practice and it has many benefits. Even more so, I would say, in our current society where we are so conditioned to multitask everything. You know, So you want to have your meal and at the same time you're texting your boss and maybe mm -hmm. you're also browsing the internet and there may be a tv on in the background or you're sitting with your friends you're also having a conversation so our mind is so scattered that a mindfulness practice has tremendous benefits it's very good it's like uh, have being on a diet <laughs> mentally mm. and and training the mind again to be to be focused to be really with what we are doing right now because in the end you can only be happy if you're in the present moment with your mind, in the past or future, there will always be trouble. If your mind goes to the past, anger, sadness, regret, this is all classical examples of mind getting stuck with an event of the past. And anxiousness, stress is always about the future. So real mm. happiness is only in the present if you really look at it. Real peace and freedom is only in the present. And our body is anyway in the present, but the mind also has to be there. Mm. But then when we look at meditation, Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras calls it dhyana. So he says dharana is one step. And then he says when your mind is fully focused on one thing and it becomes uninterrupted. And he gives a beautiful example. He says taila dharava. It's like the, the flow of the oil. Because if you see any viscous fluid, whether it's honey, it's oil. If you pour it, it is uninterrupted. There's a, a continuous flow. You know, If you take water or orange juice or something, it splatters all over the place. But Oil is, is continuous. So he said, when the mind becomes like that, that is called dhyana. That's like the first step, you can say, of meditation. And when the continuous, you can say, focus on that one object comes to a stage where even the object drops and there is only the 
the observer, you can say, where the object is no longer there. It is just the continuous awareness of the observer itself. That is called samadhi, where the the di, the buddhi is. That samadhi means the samatvam, where it is so equanimous. So if we look at many of the mindfulness practices, from this angle, you can say that it's a preparation. So by focusing the mind, it settles. It's like you bring it to a state where it is not scattered. It's not all over the place. But then meditation is one step further where you move from a state of effort because you're putting an effort, you're focusing. There is an effort required to a state of effortlessness where you also drop the effort and you can actually rest. So in a state of, uh, like as in a mindfulness practice, you are still engaging the mind. You're not yet transcending the mind. And meditation is transcending the mind. So this is something that has many additional benefits because like, for example, that deep rest that I was talking about or that experience of the source only comes when you go beyond the, the conscious mind. And also to add one more thing is that sometimes mindfulness practices also can be very challenging to begin with for a beginner because you sit and someone says, okay, just keep your attention on the breath, for example, and you realize it's really difficult <laughs> because this mind is all over the place. So even to practice mindfulness, you already need to be a little bit mindful. So for many people, then you think, oh God, you know, this is not for me. Or, or if people are too enthusiastic, I've also sometimes seen that there is a tendency then to take it to a point where you become so mindful of everything you do, or you feel so conscious that I have to be mindful of whatever I'm doing, that you lose the ability to just relax and be with what is happening where they cannot just sit and enjoy something because all the time they feel, oh, I have to be mindful of it. So uh, it's, it's a fine balance. But as I said, there are so many benefits that meditation has to offer, which lie beyond the scope of many of the, the commonly practiced mindfulness techniques. Oh, I think that clarifies a lot here because I'm assuming a lot of people who get into meditation and get into basically the guided practices where you are asked to focus on your breath and you know you are constantly focusing on your breath and try and bring your focus or attention back to your breath then you are trying to be mindful that's not the actual meditation which is the preparation for the meditation then let's say for somebody who has been doing this for a while like who has been trying the let's say breathing meditation for a while try and bring their attention back to the mind then how they can now move to the next level or go to the advanced meditation techniques like for somebody who's just getting started obviously there are a lot of guided meditation practices available in the internet today where you can get mindful and and so on and so forth right but now for someone who has reached a state like hey i have been meditating for a while even though you know with the definition that you have given trying to be mindful i've been doing this mindful practices but now i'm looking at taking it deeper where i want to take this to the next level, which is, you said, transcend the mind, go beyond my mind, where it's constantly like, you know, the flow of oil, as you have said, right? Then how, how does one do that? Where does one begin in the advanced meditation practices? So I think, uh, first and foremost, to really, if you really want to go and explore this further, it's pertinent to, to have someone to guide you, at least initially, you know, and this is something that uh, even the scriptures of, of yoga and meditation have always been very vocal about. Because uh, let's face it, if you're talking about something as subtle as uh, consciousness or the mind, it will make a great difference. And it's a great help to have someone who has 
uh, gone there, reached there, has explored it, has mastered it, and who can take you by the hand or at least guide you when you get stuck. You know? Because it's like someone may give you the route, uh, say from Delhi, you want to go to uh, to Mumbai, and you have the route map with you that, okay, here you go right, left, you go straight. And then suddenly you find that some road is closed because of, you know, there is uh, work going on or a hospital that may have been there has been replaced by another building and you get lost, you know, or you may have missed an exit and now you're not sure where to go. So then it makes a big difference if you have just that map, which could be a good book or nowadays maybe even a YouTube video, or if you have someone who is sitting next to you in the car and who says, okay, you know what? Okay, if you've reached here, then do one thing, take a turn there or go left from there. And then you will reach. So that is uh, one way to explain maybe the difference of, of having an actual teacher or a master with you. And as you mentioned, there are many guided meditations available and everything from, uh, you know, maybe just some flute music or some nature sounds that will help you to calm down to uh, maybe more advanced practices, which can, uh, can already uh, give you all kinds of uh, experiences. But then, and this has been my personal experience as well, to take it to the next level, put it like that, is to have a personal meditation practice where you are not dependent on a guided meditation because this will allow you to, uh, yeah, to be even more effortless. And if we really want to transcend, it's been my experience that, for example, practices that include uh, maybe a mantra, like for example, in the art of living, we, we teach people a, a home practice for meditation called Sahaj Samadhi meditation, where you get a personal mantra that acts like a, you know, a tool to transcend the mind. In the same way, there yeah. are other, many other practices that allow you to, uh, to go deeper in meditation and actually transcend the mind. And that will allow you to go deeper. And then the beauty is that over time, naturally, your experience changes because mm -hmm. you know it's like when you're maybe when you're exercising initially it it hurts a lot and it's not as smooth and you can only do a little bit but then over time the experience becomes very different becomes more smooth it's not just that you can add more weights or or become more flexible but your whole system starts starts changing you know it's also your your stamina that improves and there are so many other things so the beauty is with meditation initially it's like clearing some of the backlog, maybe a lot of stresses and strains that your nervous system may have accumulated. But when you've cleared some of that, then uh, it's like you're out of the red and into the green. Then you start having experiences of much more subtle aspects of your, yeah, of your existence. And that rest becomes much deeper. And many interesting things happen. Like, for example, you'll find your intuition becomes much sharper. So even in day-to-day -day life, say it improves your uh, your experience. Mm. So you mentioned about mantras, chanting of the mantras, and I love chanting mantras. One thing that, you know, what I see chanting mantra does for me is it's more of a mindful mindfulness practice where whole of my focus is just on that one thing, which is the mantra that I am chanting at that point of time, right? So what does it uh, do to our brain or mind when we are chanting mantras repeatedly. And, uh, you know, uh, in, in the ancient Hindu practice, we have the Rudraks, right, with 800, 108 uh, beads where you are constantly counting and chanting mantra for 108. Is there something to 108? Uh, and what chanting mantra does to uh, our mind? 
So if we look at, uh, again, the, the tradition, ancient tradition, the scriptures, they have a beautiful definition for the word mantra. It says mm -hmm. in Sanskrit, manana trayati iti mantra, which means that sound vibration that allows you to transcend the mind, the thinking mind, that takes you beyond the repetitive thoughts of the mind, that is called a mantra. So again, now the word mantra has also changed the definition. We have management mantras and, and so many things. But uh, many times now we see those, uh, you know, like people say, okay, I have a mantra for this day and it's more of an affirmation practice. Affirmation, exactly. So, but traditionally, the, the definition was different. They said there are specific sounds that have a certain impact on our nervous system, on our mind and mm -hmm. our consciousness. And that is why they were chosen. And uh, the topic of mantras itself is very vast. There are different types. Uh, there is something called a prasiddha mantra, which uh, anybody can chant and it will give you good results. Then they say there are certain mantras that you need to be initiated so that uh, it is given in the in the proper way. You learn how to how to use it, and then it can be very effective. And uh, like that, there are uh, there is something called bija mantras, which are like seed sounds. They have different potencies, but the main idea is that this sound has a vibration that again uplifts the consciousness, or it energizes you. It energizes the mind. It energizes your nervous system. So maybe we can understand it in a way where you say when you're worrying. You know, like sometimes we worry. If you really look at it, a worry is nothing but the same thought that gets repeated again and again, and it pulls your energy down. You know, that same thought or what it is will happen. So in this way, a mantra is a sound or a vibration that is repeated, and it pulls your energy up. So it has the opposite effect. And if you notice whenever our mind is energized or when your energy level is higher, your state of mind is also different. Like when you're tired, when you're feeling a bit low, very small things can, can irritate you. It will throw you off balance or you feel upset or it feels like a big problem. You don't know how to, how will I manage? But when you're very well rested, you're energetic, you know, your energy level is high. The same thing doesn't really bother you. You notice even mm. with stressful situations, it's like it doesn't really touch you much. So mantras is one of those ways to energize us, to energize our nervous system, to energize the mind. And when it is energized, it's much more in the present. It becomes much more peaceful. And this sound has that effect. So we repeat it for a number of times. And then, as you said, it's, uh, when it's done properly, it's, it's done very mindfully. And that is why they usually used to say that chanting it out loud is, is, is nice, it's good. But if you chant the mantras mentally, it has manifold benefits. It's like... Uh, you get a bonus. They say it's 10 times more effective if you whisper the mantra without any sound. This is called upamshu. And if it is done uh, manasik, which means on the level of the mind, it is 100 times more effective. Because if you look at it, you may be chanting out loud, but you may still be planning your day or doing other things. Mm. But if you're chanting mentally, then your mind has to fully be there. It gets fully involved. So it, in that way, it's much more effective. And you will find that uh, many of the mantras, if, especially when you chant it mentally, that over a period of time, you actually get into a meditative state where you may slip in and out of meditation. You may even at some point forget that you're chanting because you actually transcend. And this is the beauty. And that is why sometimes also I used to tell people that if a mantra is difficult for you to chant, especially people abroad, sometimes it may be, or some of the, the, the more longer mantras or the, the Vedic mantras, 
But then even just listening to it with your eyes closed, you will find that it naturally takes you to a meditative state. And I've seen this with people all over the world. And even a simple mantra like Om Namah Shivaya, which is quite common, but very potent. People, they chant it 108 times, like you said, for example. And then after that, you just sit for some time, you already feel so meditative. It really calms the mind. And this 108, it has, again, multiple significances. One of the main things, actually, it has its meaning in the tradition of Jyotisha, the Vedic astrology, because even the actual science of mantras is very closely connected with the the Vedic science of astrology, because it tells us about the impact of place and time, that space and the time has on us. And then mantras, specific mantras can also be used to balance that. It's quite fascinating. So they say there are 12 constellations and uh, nine planets that were considered, the Navagraha. So those nine planets moving through those 12 constellations give rise to 108 different combinations and permutations. Oh. And because each of those is said to have a specific impact on our body and mind, So they said when you chant it 108 times, it is like you cover all your bases. So they say it's like, okay, once you chant the mantra for each possible impact, and that way uh, it has a great benefit in uh, balancing any uh, so-called negative influences and uh, enhancing anything positive. So uh, this is one of the main significances. And then, of course, uh, there are... uh, different practices where they say, okay, a certain mantra can be chanted for a certain number of times to get the siddhi or the perfection of that mantra, where it becomes fully alive like that. There are many uh, magical things. But uh, yeah, that's why they say, and and we find is even if you look at the Buddhist traditions, because of course, a lot of it has come from the yogic traditions where they also use the malas. Of course, in the Christian tradition, also we have the rosary. So it also helps as an aid to count because uh, especially when you chant uh, the mantra many times or even more so, like I said, if chanted mentally, you will find that when the mind becomes more subtle, then if you have to count mentally or even on your fingers, it becomes a mess. You, know, you lose track. Or, But the beauty of the mala is that the rosary, that if you keep counting on that, even if your mind is in a semi-conscious state, you can continue. So it yeah. helps you to, to do the practice in a much more relaxed manner without having to worry about... Uh, about the number. That's why it has that extra one at the end so that you know, okay, I finished one round. Well, I think uh, this was quite an understanding for myself. I'm, you know, I, I love chanting mantra and I love chanting it out loud because when I'm chanting mantra, when I'm doing it really loud, I feel this certain shift in my energy in an instant. Like even if I do it for three minutes of chanting mantra and I'm like, I can feel that shift in the energy. And then now that you're saying uh, doing it mentally is more impactful, I think this is something that I'm going to take back as a learning from this episode and, you know, uh, go and implement in my own practice. So I want to, you know, move to another question before that, just to give audience a bit of sense that, you know, if you guys have been wondering, Swami Z, you know, while he come from Netherlands, he uh, speaks very well Hindi and uh, he understands Sanskrit and uh, you know, he he reads some of his mantra better than a lot of us. So, <laughs> Swami Ji, why don't you listen to your favorite mantra? So, I'll chant one, one short mantra, which is actually from the Vedas. It's from the Rig Veda. And it's it's very relevant or profound because it's a mantra. It's like a prayer where it encourages everyone to 
come together in a spirit of belongingness and that let us look at life, let us approach life and whatever we want to achieve in a way that we do it in an inclusive manner so that all our minds may be aligned for a good purpose, for the good of all. Let we, let us work together. Let us move with that harmony. So I can, it's a short uh, mantra, but I'll, I'll recite it for you. I'll chant it. Om Sam Samit Yuva Sevra Shannak Nevishvaan Yarya Yerdas Pade Samit Yasesa Nova Sunyabhara Sangat Tatvam Samvadat Vam Sambomanaan Sijanata Deva Bhaganyata Purve Sanjanana Upasate Samano Mantras Samitis Samani Samanam Manasahachitame Esham Samanam mantram abhimantrayevasamanenavohavishaajuhomi Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Wow. That's beautiful. As you said, just by listening to the mantra, you can feel the energy in your body and something shifts. And when you were chanting that mantra, I'm sure you know the people who are listening to this podcast also felt a certain shift uh, or, or a certain uplift in the energy which is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. It's one of my uh, my personal, uh, you can say, really interests, passions. Uh, one of the reasons I came to India also to go deeper into this knowledge because it's difficult to learn these things, uh, of course, in the Netherlands. And uh, it's a continuous journey, but I'm very grateful. I've had a chance to learn so many things and I'm able to share that also with people now. But it's a, yeah, it's a fascinating uh, science. So Swamiji, what according to you is the purpose of life? Well, I feel quite uh, humbled by this question. It's a very big question. But personally, I feel that definitely we are not just here to eat, sleep, work, become happy, sad, and then die. You know, as, as a human being, we have been blessed with so many different faculties, uh, um, we have so much potential. And the purpose of life, I would say, is one definitely to realize our true nature, our true potential. You know, um, of course, uh, not just in, in the past, but even in today's world, we see people doing such extraordinary things, whether it be in the, in the field of intellectual knowledge, in the field of service. Uh, other extraordinary abilities or the, the level of compassion they show in so many ways. So that should inspire us to, I feel, explore and to discover that, okay, what is my potential? And 
closely linked with that is to also realize that we are all connected. If you see, if you really look at it, we are not just our own little us. You know, you sometimes get a glimpse that how you uh, feel that, oh, you know, something happens to someone else and you can feel it. Or even if we look at nature, you know, it's, it's a well-knit system. Of course, nowadays, in many ways, we may be abusing it or transgressing that. But from my personal experience, when you start becoming more sensitive, more centered, more peaceful, you are able to connect to different layers or aspects of this creation. And you start realizing that it's really all connected. And to feel that kind of connection with the world around you, with the people around you, allows you to live at a at a whole different uh, level or, or frequency, whatever you want to call it, where wherever you go, you can feel so comfortable. No? Like when you're singing in the shower, many people may have this experience, you feel very free, you know, but the moment there's someone else in the room, it's a different story. So being able to feel so free, not just even in your home when there's someone else in the room, but wherever you go, is the birthright of every human being, you know, to feel so comfortable, to feel so at ease, and to be able to carry that with you wherever you go. And all these, uh, whether it be spiritual practices or uh, many of the traditions in the world, in the end, they talk about this. They have this as a goal where you come to a point where you can tap into or connect with what we usually call as a higher power, whether it is God or, or nature or consciousness. It allows you to tap into something so much bigger than you simply by realizing that it's already a part of you or you're a part of that. And when you start, uh, you know, getting glimpses of that or experiences, then you realize that, oh, you know, it's like I was living in 2D and now suddenly you're living in 3D or you can, you can even go to 4D. So I would like to really uh, urge people that, you know, there is so much more to explore and we've hardly even scratched the surface. So while we are here, of course, we have our responsibilities. Doesn't mean you run away from everybody and everything at home and say, let me just go into the Himalayas or uh, that may not even be so effective. But apart from doing all the things we need to do, if you're able to take a little bit of time to invest in, in really exploring, getting to know yourself. And again, that starts with practices like this, like meditation, where you take a moment to actually declutter and empty the mind, unburden your nervous system, and to start exploring it, even to get to know what is there in me. Who am I really? You know, am I just this body or am I something more? You know, all these labels that we have of being a doctor or a, a business person or a mother or a student, whatever it may be, these are all labels we have accumulated along the way. But before that, also, I was somebody, I was something. So who am I really? And the more clarity we have, in this, you will find that the more clarity you also have when you go into the world. If you say, okay, what is it that I really want to do? Many people are struggling. And especially the youth nowadays, if you ask them, most of them are clueless. Then you say, okay, what do you want to study? Well, I don't know. You end up doing something just because it looks appealing or because your parents are after your life or <laughs> because uh, that pretty girl is also going to study the same thing or whatever it may be. But then even after that, many people then they say, okay, then what do you want? They still don't know. So nowadays, many people may not even end up working in the field that they have studied because along the way, they realize this is not actually what I really wanted to do. 
So then life is like a gamble. No, it's like getting into a into a bus or a train. And then when you get out, get off at the destination or the place it took you, you look around and you say, oh, this is not where I wanted to go. And you don't really know where you wanted to go, but you're very certain that this is not it. And you can keep doing this your whole life, but there is really no guarantee that you will reach. While if you know exactly that, well, for example, from Delhi, I need to go to Hyderabad, then you can find the right bus or the right train. And if, if there isn't one, at least you can get a, get a bike or worst case scenario, you can walk. But if you know where you need to go, eventually you will definitely reach. But if you don't, you can spend your whole life going all over the place only to find out again and again that, oh, but this is not where I wanted to go. And that kind of clarity, you will only get once you get that clarity inside. So I think uh, for anybody who has um, reached that level of, I would say, discrimination or maturity or wisdom of insight or intelligence where you realize I'm not just here to eat, sleep, work, and then die, then it's pertinent to, to start yeah, looking inward also, sometime every day, because that is where you can really find uh, the clues of, of where you want to go in life. And it's only when you declutter your life. It's only when you declutter your mind of all these other things that we're constantly, you know, playing in the loop is when you start seeing clearly. And uh, and this is, in fact, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, you take people in these, you know, silence retreats where you just make people to go quiet for a few days where you are asking people to look inwards because when you are completely quiet, when you are in the silence, then you have no choice but to look inward. Uh, and also, while, you know, one of the things that I want to do sooner in my life is to go, you know, on a Vipassana retreat and go quiet like for 10 days and see, you know, how, how that kind of um, helps me to have those moments. But even though when I'm in silence for 15, 20, 30 minutes during my meditation, some of those meditation practices, I've had those breakthrough moments, sometimes during the practice, sometimes after, uh, you know, I've completed the meditation practice, cleared my mind, and then go on to maybe take a shower or maybe just, you know, picked up a book. And then some answers that I've been looking looking for just pops out of nowhere. And, it, and I just keep thinking like, you know, where did that just emerge? It comes from the fact that when you clear your mind and declutter your mind, you are giving space for new thoughts. You are giving space uh, for yourself to, uh, you know, as you said, look inward and find those answers within. Maybe you can add a little more to what I've just shared on what silence does to us and how just being quiet. And, and you know, you take people, uh, as I said, in the si silence retreats, right? What's the whole idea of just going quiet? Well, BJ, I think uh, as you very nicely captured it, being quiet or being silent, uh, taking a break from all the talking that we do. And, uh, and here the silence is not just the conversational uh, language. We, it's, it's a meditation retreat, so it has a lot of uh, guided meditations also. It's, a, it's one of the more advanced programs we have in, in the Art of Living Foundation. But the idea is that to give rest to the mind. So anything that engages the mind, whether it is reading, uh, listening to music, uh, of course, any conversation, uh, interaction with people. 
we bring it to a, a minimum. Of course, sometimes a little bit of gestures here and there are unavoidable, but that's, that's it. What it does is that it allows the mind to settle much, much faster. And it takes a little time, you know, because it's like when you're driving a car, if you put the brake fully, it still takes a little bit of time to fully come to a standstill. So we see here also that the first one or two days, mind may still be very restless, and then it really starts settling. And that not only gives a lot of clarity, um, it also saves a lot of energy. And to really go deep in meditation, we need a lot of energy. Like I said, the more the mind gets energized, the more energy is there in your system, you can actually go and experience higher states of consciousness. So there it, uh, it also adds to the practice. And it is a very essential uh, thing, I would say, because as you said, you know, when you're silent, you start also seeing your thoughts. And that's why many people actually are quite uncomfortable just being silent. You may have seen some people when they're home alone, they will either put some music or the, the TV is playing in the background because it's quite confronting when it's totally silent because you start hearing your own thoughts. And for many people, it's like a zoo in there. <laughs> so, and you can't blame them because life now, nowadays is like that. But then when you give space for that to settle, it gives a lot of, lot of clarity. It drastically increases your energy level. And like you said, it opens up space for yeah, what we call intuition. So to, intuition is like the tuition from inside. So that is what intuition is. I love that. When you clear the mind like this, when you become more, uh, more empty inside, it allows you to actually start hearing that, well, let's say inner voice or that, that knowledge that is available inside, but that we normally don't hear because there is so much other noise. So you start yeah, getting in touch with a more subtle aspect of yourself where a lot of knowledge is already available. And uh, you know, in the ancient times, this is how the, the sages or the rishis used to get such profound knowledge of things that we are still discovering today. When, when we look at the science of astrology, astronomy, they already knew that certain planets had so many moons without any of the equipment. You know, they speak about atoms with and that we only discovered uh, in, in recent times. They knew that the Earth was round because they called it Google, you know, so many thousands of years ago, while in the West, we only discovered that a few hundred years ago. So even in Ayurveda, if you see the fact that they knew that certain herbs were so effective for certain conditions, that knowledge was, you can say, downloaded because it's present in, in nature, it's present in the consciousness, but then they were able to quieten the mind to such an extent that again, they were able to tap into that aspect that is already connected. This is fascinating. So like you said, imagine if just a, a 20, 30 minute practice already gives you such fruits, what it would do to you when you actually invest a few days and go even deeper. The potential is well, almost infinite. Absolutely. And uh, definitely coming on the next one that you are doing, because as I said, I started feeling that I'm now ready to take my own spiritual practice to the next level. And this is something that where I've started feeling like what more I can do, how can I take this to the next level? And, you know, we have briefly discussed that earlier in this conversation as well. So I have one more question, which is, you know, you talk about sense of belongingness and you also mentioned briefly, you know, when you were talking about a moment ago, we are distancing ourselves from true human connection as we know it. 
and uh, particularly after the lockdown and all of us being at our home and and it has amplified the whole idea of connecting virtually but you know the whole sense of belongingness and we being a social animal we want to belong somewhere we want to be part of a tribe we want to be part of a group where we resonate with our ideas values and thoughts and and ideas that we have uh, how do you see we nurturing this in the future and uh, do you have any tips for people to kind of around this uh, anything that you'd like to share on this aspect yes actually if you look at at it bj like i said no the, the small children they already have this it's innate but somewhere along the way in many cases this is not nurtured rather the opposite no if if you see for example a small child goes to school or goes to play uh, somewhere and then he comes back home and then the mother may ask that you know uh, where is your toy or where is your uh, this thing that thing and they say oh no i gave it to this boy or you know because maybe that other boy needed it or he was very happy with it so the child gives it away but then the mother will scold the child that no no you shouldn't give that is your toy you know it's one small example but so we don't really encourage our children to share rather it's like you start inculcating this kind of fear that oh if i share i will not have enough it's just one example or the same way if you see small children they they will go up to someone you say no no don't go to that person or talk to that person or play with that person because it's a bad person then they will ask why is it a bad person so they don't doubt the goodness they doubt the negativity or the badness you can say in a person somewhere along the way that is is not nurtured and at the same time you also see that when we are stressed when we are uh, tense our purview narrows like you will you will not be so sensitive not even just conscious but not even so sensitive to the the people around you like for example someone may be going on the road they're already late for a meeting or they have to catch a flight or their boss is shouting at them about some work which is pending and someone falls down in front of them they may get irritated they hey can't you see where i'm walking or you know or even if they don't say anything is like oh for god's sake why this had to happen while if you are very peaceful you know you're not in any rush you're very uh, centered the moment someone falls down in, in front of you without even thinking you will you will stretch your hand you will reach for them say oh okay are you okay can i help you so many of this uh, you can say humanness humanity does human values are they are all part of our nature and they are innate the only thing is it gets clouded by the stresses and strains and some of these concepts and that is why you know i have conducted programs even in high security prisons not just in india even in africa in the northeastern region where i've worked for many years uh, overseeing various projects of the art of living uh, we have also worked with militants and time and again i've seen that the moment people are able to uh, get more clarity get rid of some of the traumas and the stresses that they have accumulated you know many of these people they come from a background where it is very difficult they have been through so much but then the moment some of that you can say the cobwebs are cleared you find that these are also such wonderful people and then you can see such a drastic transformation where even in prisons like in manipur for example they have made our programs part of the the rehabilitation because they saw that this actually works you know rather than taking people out of circulation for a few years and they come out uh, being even more skilled maybe or with more connections in the underworld 
you see that a person actually transforms not just in their behavior with the other inmates or the security staff, but their whole outlook at life. And uh, I've seen people actually say that, you know, now I can actually take responsibility for what I have done. And I can actually say I will not do it again because many of them may have committed the crime in a fit of rage or a, or a moment of so much frustration where to some extent they lost control and it leaves a, a big trauma also or a, an insecurity because that means it can happen again. And if you're not in control, that means how will you stop it? And I've seen this on a maybe less dramatic scale also uh, with many people who come to our programs that the moment people start practicing meditation regularly, do some breathing techniques, uh, which allow them to, on a daily basis, you can say, declutter their mind, get rid of some of the stresses and strains, that they don't just become more nice human beings, but they themselves come forward and they say, you know, I would like to do some service. I would like to help something or uh, whether it is in an organized manner or maybe in their own way, in their, in their home or in their neighborhood. Because if you look at it, the moment we feel good, when you feel happy, when you feel fulfilled, that moment you're not really thinking, okay, what about me or what do I need? Then naturally you start thinking, okay, what can I do for other people? So it's very natural that when we are not comfortable or you're not fully at ease, that you want to get rid of that. So your focus is more on how can I get peace? How can I be comfortable? But then when that is taken care of, then you say, oh, I don't need much for myself. I already feel good. Then you say, okay, what can I do for others? And I think in this time, as you very rightly said, where in one way we have been more disconnected, we also see that many people have started realizing the importance of having these connections. Because many people are struggling. That simple fact of not having a human touch, even just by your friends, you know, you get a hug once in a while, someone slaps you at the back or, or being able to sit with people personally. And um, I think that uh, that is why we see both the trends. On one hand, of course, our online connections have dramatically increased. Technology has taken a leap forward, the use, the way people use it. But at the same time, I think also people in many places now you see there's a such a an urge or desire to be amongst people again. And of course, initially, there may be a little bit fear that, oh, you know, but now when, when things are settling, and uh, that's why I think more than ever, as you said, because it is innate to want to be part of of a bigger group to feel that connection. And normally we tend to, like you said, look for someone who's very similar because that's what we know. Someone who has the same hobbies, the same interests, or maybe the same hairstyle. But mm -hmm. the beauty is, like I said, the more you become centered, you get to that point again where you can actually feel comfortable wherever you go. And then that is when that really there is a different quality to life altogether, where you're not limited to that few places where your tribe hangs out. You know, like people say, oh, I can't wait till it's weekend or I can't wait till it's holiday or worst case scenario, I can't wait till I retire because then I can do the things I really want to do. Then I can really be with the people I want to be with. So for me, as a personal experience also, the spiritual practices and the knowledge that I have gained uh, along the journey and that I'm sharing with people what I've learned from my master and what I'm, I'm to my capacity and passing on allows one to make a beautiful shift in life where instead of living life as a pursuit of happiness, 
you can start living life as an expression of happiness where you do all the things not because you think or hope that it will give you happiness or it makes you feel good or peaceful but you can do all those things happily and peacefully and that is a drastic change in the quality of your life that's so beautifully summarized and uh, i absolutely love this conversation and i think i must say at this point of time this definitely is one of those very soulful conversations that i've had on the show and for everybody listening to this podcast swami purna chaitanya's book looking inward meditating to survive in a changing world is already out now and you should definitely check that out i have read the book few things that really stood out for me is i love the clarity with which he write and also um the simplicity with which he explains the concept on meditation so you will learn some practices you will learn some of the adventures that the that he had on his travels from netherlands to india and and almost 20 years of getting into you know the spiritual journey and his travel in in south africa and so on and so forth so this is a beautiful beautiful book i'm going to link the link of the book on description of this episode make sure that you check that out and uh, also if you have already checked the book out make sure that you leave a review for the book that would definitely uh you know help uh, spread the word around before i ask you one last question swabizi if people would like to get in touch with you learn more about the work that you are doing and maybe attend some of the programs what is the best possible way to get in touch with you well for the people who are more traditional i have a website uh, swamipurnachaitanya.com where you can find my tour schedule um, of upcoming programs it has details of the the various activities that i do and uh, even the website has a contact form so people are most welcome to leave a they want to send me a question get in touch uh, that is one way for those who are a little more uh, of the next generation uh, i'm there on twitter on instagram facebook uh, you know you Super can always active. yes well we do our best but you can always <laughs> drop me a personal message uh, it may sometimes take a few days because uh, sometimes there is a lot to get back to and i have of course other things also to do but um, mm-hmm. yeah and even like you said if people love the mantras i have recorded a few cds with so it's there on on spotify uh, on youtube also on my channel you can find it Uh, people are most welcome to to explore and uh, and I do read the reviews like you said when people leave a review uh I always check it so um, I would love to hear what people uh what their impression is of of what we do yeah absolutely I'll link everything that he just mentioned on the description of this episode make sure that you check that out uh so swamiji here's the last question imagine that you're standing on a stadium this is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world and there are millions of people who are there eagerly and passionately waiting to listen to you and you have been given only one minute of the time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life what would be your message well i think that for me personally i have realized that true fulfillment in life only comes through service and that if we want to experience that fulfillment it is going beyond our own needs and the more again you feel that that sense of belongingness that connection with people you will find that wherever you go in this world you can feel comfortable you feel at home and 
you will be able to truly appreciate the diversity that this world is, uh, the diversity that nature has created, um, the diversity in, in our humankind, and to truly appreciate the beautiful bouquet that has been offered to us. So to live life to the fullest, I think uh, it is pertinent that we connect to that part of us which is unchanging because that is the same in everybody and that allows you to connect with people beyond the barriers of of race religion or language and to truly feel at home wherever you go and to be able to experience that is something that is so precious and that is worth achieving that is worth striving for in life and it is very possible for everybody it is not something that is very difficult or out of reach. Been such a pleasure to have you on the show, Swamiji. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, PJ. It was a lovely conversation. And I wish you all the best with this wonderful initiative. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inspiring Talk. You can find all the resources mentioned by visiting the show notes page at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash one, two, four. Also, if you are not already part of our community on Telegram, you can join it by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash telegram. I'll also put that in the description of this episode. Swami Purna Saitanya is very active on Instagram. You can take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram story. When you do that, tag me at the rate Vijay Speaks and Swamiji at Swami Purna Saitanya. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.